awesome. It's a good thing that I am teaching today. I think if Torin was teaching, he might have to sit down or uh, maybe like be like, Jesus, Jesus, who? Oh. That's why it's good to keep young people on staff, you know? I'm just kidding. I love you, Torin. I love you. I love you. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm going to get fired. This will be my last sermon. I love you all. <laughs> hey, I want to introduce you guys to a, a guy named Dave Bouchow. I don't know how to say his last name, actually. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know this guy, but uh, an article was written about him, uh, rather unfortunate. It says this, that by day two in the blazing Utah desert, Dave Bouchow or Bouchow or was in bad shape. Pale, racked by cramps, his speech slurred. The 29-year-old New Jersey man was desperate for water and hallucinating so badly that he mistook a tree for a person. After going roughly 10 hours without a drink in the 100-degree heat, he finally dropped dead of thirst, face down in the desert less than 100 yards from the goal, a cave with a pool of water. I want to ask you guys a question this morning. What's the time in your life that you've been the most thirsty? And I'm not talking about a time where you were sitting at the beach and you were like, mm, I could use a sip of water. And you reached over into your cooler, you grabbed a bottle of water, took a sip. You're like, mm, ah, tastes good. Because that's what you guys do when you're at the beach, right? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the time where like the moment in your life where like nothing else mattered, like you needed water, Okay. What's the time in your life that you were the most thirsty? I want you to share uh, with your neighbor, some of the people you came with or whatever. If you're online this morning in the chat or with the people you're watching, what's the time in your life that you were the most thirsty? I'm going to give you a little bit of time. All right, anything crazy? Did, did your neighbor share with you something like crazy, like they were in the middle of the desert or anything like that? No. I figure. We're a bunch of boring West Michigan people anyway. Okay. Uh, I couldn't think of a, something like a moment specifically, but I don't know about you guys. I've had moments in my life where I wake up in the middle of the night. I don't know for whatever reason, like I'm dehydrated or like I sweat too much during the day or something, but I wake up and all of a sudden I'm like... <gasps> It's like in the middle of the night and I like can't do anything until I get a drink of water. I go down, I drink like five glasses of water and then my stomach's upset, my night's ruined, I can't go back to sleep, right? I want you to hold on to that moment that you described to your neighbor. And if you don't have the moment, you can hold on to Dave's, okay? I want you to hold on to that. We're going to get to it a, a little later on this morning. This morning we kick off uh, part two of this series we've been in, just titled Gospel. And we're kicking off this second part of the series that we began in the weeks leading up to Easter in a similar way that we kicked off part one by asking a simple question, what is the gospel? Whether you've grown up in church your whole life or maybe you've never been to church or here today, you have no idea how you got here. My guess is you've heard the phrase, the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And there's all these ideas about what that actually is. So we're just taking some time to ask the question, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? You see, because it's our belief here at TLC that the gospel is not just a prayer that we pray. 
It's not just this idea that we get to go to heaven. The gospel is an announcement about a king. The gospel is an announcement that Jesus has arrived and that his death, his burial, his resurrection, his life, his teachings, his parables, his love, his disgust for the dead religion of his day, his desire for justice, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, the the coming of his kingdom, the pouring out of his Holy Spirit, all of these things are the gospel. All of these change things for us. All of these things change things for us. They change the way that we experience this life and in the life to come. Now, if I'm going to be completely honest with you guys, I spent a lot of time this week trying to think about the ways to present and explain and interpret scripture and explain the gospel perfectly for you and explain the ways, all the ways that the things that I just described change things for us and all of its depth and all of its beauty. And after writing a completely different sermon earlier this week, if you hate this one, uh, send me an email. I'll send you the other one, okay? Uh, This week's the two-for-one special, okay? After writing a completely different sermon, I came to the realization that I can't explain the gospel perfectly. That I can't explain the way that it changes things for us and all of its depth and all of its beauty. And it's not because I'm not good enough or that my brain is too small, although that's probably true. It's because the gospel is too big. It's too far-reaching. It's too wide-sweeping. That's how wide-sweeping it is. Can I get an amen, huh? And so what I was left with after writing a different sermon this week was the Spirit reminding me and nudging me to just remind our church of the ways of how and when we can step toward the person of Jesus and experience his gospel. And so I want to give you a reminder. I want to le- give you something this morning to leave with. It's something that's very profound. It's very complicated. You're going to need to put your thinking caps on for this one. Are you ready? The gospel of Jesus is about the person of Jesus. I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> Some of you guys are pulling your phones out. You're sending me an email already like, yeah, I'll take the other one. <laughs> the gospel of Jesus is about the person of Jesus. And so uh, I, I want to take some time to, to look at, at, at the way that Jesus invites us to experience his gospel, the way that, that he does that. And so to do that, I'm going to turn to the words of Jesus, because that seems like a pretty good spot to start. But before I do that, I actually want to set some context for what we're going to read this morning. Uh, so I don't want you to turn there. We're going to be in the be- t- towards the beginning of the Gospel of John, but I'm not going to tell you where because I don't want you to turn. I want to set the context of what we're going to read this morning, okay? Because what we're going to read this morning takes place uh, during something that was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Everybody say the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was this seven-day-long celebration, feast, uh, a festival that took place in Jerusalem for the Israelite people around the fall or autumn time of year, okay? So it was around the new harvest. And so the focus of this feast was to ask God to bring rain, to ask God to bring new life. Water symbolized new life in the ancient agricultural world. And so there were rituals, there were ceremonies, there were prayers, there were processions, all centered around this idea of new life, of God bringing rain, even resurrection from the dead. 
And so there was a ceremony, there was a procession that sort of rested at the center of this seven-day-long celebration. It happened each day, each of the seven days, this procession happened. And, and here's what it looked like, all right? So uh, it would begin in the temple, and there would be some priests who would gather. The priests would gather, they'd grab a, a pitcher, a golden pitcher, and they would head down, they would leave the temple, uh, and they would head down to the south of Jerusalem, okay? So they would trek down, they'd leave the temple, this is, let's pretend this is the south of Jerusalem, there's a little further than that, okay? And they would go to the spring of Gihon, and they would pull water into the pitcher from the spring, and they would head all the way back up to the temple, in Jerusalem. And all while that's happening, there was a choir in the temple in Jerusalem reciting a verse from Isaiah 55 saying, with joy God draws from the wells of salvation. With joy God draws from the wells of salvation. And as the priests were walking with their pitchers, there were people behind them shaking some branches and, and, and they were reciting verses and phrases from the Psalms. And then when the priests would get back with the pitcher, they would pour the water into a bowl. And then the, the temple priests would take the bowl of water that had been collected from the spring and would pour it over the the altar as a way of symbolizing the way that God brings rain, the way that God brings new life. This would happen every day. It was some intense stuff. For some of us, it's like hard to imagine. So uh, imagine a Black Panther. You guys seen Black Panther? There's a scene where they're like, it's like a challenge ceremony or something, and like T'Challa's about to like fight this other guy, and there's people like they're they're reciting stuff, they're like going like this, right, and stuff like that. It's kind of like this crazy intense thing. You're like, did you just compare something in the Bible to Black Panther? Yeah, that's what I got this morning. Okay, so uh, just imagine that, just way more intense, this, this ceremony, this procession. And get this, on the last day, it lasted seven days, they would do this each day. And on the seventh day, the great day, the final day, all that I just described would happen seven times. So the priests would go down, they'd go down to the spring, and they would collect the water, they'd come back to the temple, all while the people are reciting, right? And the people are shaking behind them, they'd pour the water, they'd go down, they'd do it again, seven times, up, down, up, down, up, down, seven times. And the Jews believed that when the Messiah came, when the king who would bring in God's kingdom, who would usher in God's kingdom arrived, that the Messiah would provide the water for this final day, for this ceremony. And it's in the middle of this final day where we pick up this morning in John chapter 7. So I'd invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn there. If you don't, we'll have it on the back of the, or on the screen here, John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. The Gospel of John, the book of John, is just a biography of the life and teachings of Jesus. So we're going to be in John chapter 7. It's toward the second half of the Bible. Big number, chapter 7, small number, 37 and 38. This is what it says here. It says this. On the last, and everything that I just described to you, I want you to imagine as either ongoing or having just finished. Okay, so it's still either still going or having just finished. We're not sure, but it's one of those two things. We know absolutely. Biblical scholars all agree. Here we go. Verse 37 and 38, it says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. <laughs> this is such a baller move from Jesus. <laughs> like this is insane what Jesus does in this moment. Okay, like we cannot underestimate the magnitude of this moment. Jesus is making the claim that he is the source of new life, that he is the source of salvation, that because he has arrived, the spirit of God is going to come and be present, that the kingdom of God 
is here. Jesus is making this claim. And there's so much biblical levels and nuances to this. There's so much richness that that we're going to try and get to a little later on. But before we do that, I want to point something out that I think can be easily overlooked. You see, what often gets emphasized in this powerful and popular moment and verse from Jesus is the fact that Jesus is making the claim, hey, I am the source of new life. I am salvation is here. The kingdom of God is here. Rivers of living water, all that stuff, right? And Jesus is saying all those things. Jesus is making those claims. Make no mistake. But I think it can be easy to miss the condition with which Jesus offers those things. The condition that Jesus is asking when he offers those things. Notice he says, let anyone who is, what's he say? Did you catch it? Let anyone who is thirsty. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. They can have new life. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, it, If you don't really like the taste of water, come to me. Jesus doesn't say, "Eh, if you could or couldn't go without a drink, doesn't really matter to you, whatever, come to me. No, Jesus is saying, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let anyone who can't think, can't sleep, can't hardly move until they have some water, let them come to me. Jesus is like, let anyone whose mouth is so dry, you know those disgusting envelopes that you have to lick to get to stick or whatever, you know, it's so gross. Jesus is like, let anyone whose mouth is so dry, they couldn't do that. If their mouth is that dry, they're that thirsty, come to me. That's the condition Jesus is asking for, to receive new life, salvation, to experience his gospel. His thirst, his desire. And I think it's important to to make clear that when Jesus utters this phrase, when he says this word, even the word specific thirsty, Jesus isn't saying it in our time and in our climate where we just turn on the faucet, grab a cup of water. "Mm, Ah, so good, so refreshing. No, Jesus is living in a time and a climate where when you utter the word, when you utter the phrase thirsty, what comes to mind is someone like Dave walking around in the desert in need of water to sustain life. That's thirsty. So to get us into that frame of mind, I want to just ask you to imagine the moment that you described to your neighbor. The moment where like in in a split second, like nothing mattered, all that mattered was a sip of water, like you needed water. And if you don't have one, if you've been thinking and frustrated that you can't think of one this whole time that I've been talking, that's all right. Don't worry about it, okay? Just, I'm just going to ask you to imagine or or, or let Dave's story give you that, that moment, give you that image. I'm talking about the kind of thirst where in that moment, you don't care about what's on, what's trending on TikTok. You don't care about the interest rates on the housing market. You you don't care about the weather. Like you don't care about any of that stuff. All you care about is getting a sip of water. Like you want water more than you want the new sneaker drop. You want water more than you want that new job. You want water more than you want that positive test. Or you want water more than you want that negative test. You want water more than the approval of others. You want water more than acceptance into the college program. I'm saying, I'm talking about the kind of thirst where you need water. That's thirsty. That's what Jesus says. That's what he's asking. He's saying, let anyone who is thirsty... Let anyone who desires me come to me and drink. I will give them rivers of living water, new life, salvation. They will experience my gospel. Jesus doesn't say, Jesus does not say, 
Let anyone come to me that makes a certain amount of money, that attends church on a certain amount of Sundays. Let anyone come to me who votes this way or votes that way. Let anyone come to me who, who uh, says that they, uh, sorry, vote this way or that way. Let anyone come to me who uh, maybe says, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, so I think I'm a Christian. He, said, he doesn't say, let anyone who thinks that they're a genuinely good and nice person, so yeah, come to me. No, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. That's the condition that he's asking for. He's asking for our desire. He's asking for our thirst. And not because none of those things don't matter. Those, some of those things matter, but I think Jesus is convinced that once you've tasted the living water, once you've experienced Jesus, all of those other things start to take care of themselves. There's a phrase that I think has just been moving closer and closer to the center of our church. It's been laid on the heart of our, some of our staff, some of our leadership team. I think Torin was actually ahead of this when we went to a conference as a staff in, in the month of March. And Torin actually kind of closed our birthday celebration, which, by the way, our birthday celebration was so fun last week, wasn't it? If you weren't here, sorry, be at the next one. It's next year. Um, anyway, Torin closed our birthday reflection with this phrase, actually. And he said that unless we do this, we're not going to get to the, all the things we're celebrating over the last five years. That's what we need to do if we want to celebrate the same things over the next five years or even better. And it was a phrase from a guy named John Tyson. Some of you guys may know John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York. I think he's from somewhere else, though, because he's got a cool accent and makes him sound smart. And uh, he, said, he said that uh, at the conference, he said he, he studied movements of God, unique movements, powerful movements of God that have happened across time, history, all over the place. And he was studying to try and figure out what are some of the common denominator, denominators, like what's going on here? Is there a certain model or a certain strategy, a certain style of communication? Like what's going on here when God is moving in this unique, powerful way? And here's what he found. Torn said this last week. This is what he found. Ready? God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. This, friends, is the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel. That through Jesus, if we are thirsty, if we desire it, we can experience life with God in this life and in the life to come. Now, we've been saying the story, the gospel is the story of God from start to finish, right? We've said that week after week. We've said it multiple times. The gospel is the story of God from start to finish. But I want to add something new to that this morning, okay? The gospel is the story of God from start to finish. Here's the next thing I want to say, that the gospel is for anyone and everyone, and it is for all of the time. The gospel is for anyone and for everyone, and it is for all of the time. And I'm going to give you just a tiny example through this theme of thirst that we've been talking about of why the gospel matters, why this series matters, why the gospel is the story of God from start to finish, and why the gospel is for anyone and everyone, and it's for all of the time, all right? So buckle up. We're going to go through some passages here uh, in the Word of God. Uh, you don't need to turn to them. We're going to have them on the screen, and we're going to begin here in Exodus chapter 15, almost all the way at towards the very beginning of the story of God, towards the beginning of the Bible in Exodus chapter 15. The Israelite people, these are God. God's people have just been freed from slavery. They've been freed from their old life. Many of them are beginning to trust and worship God for the first time in their life, and they are in the desert and in need of water. 
And in Exodus chapter 15, before the verse that I'm going to read this morning, God actually takes a spring of water that was undrinkable and he makes it drinkable for his people. And then at the end of the chapter in verse 27, it says this. It says that then they came, talking about the Israelites, to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. There are some of us in the room this morning, I think, like the Israelites, who maybe we've just started to really trust and worship God alone. Maybe we, ha- we haven't even done that yet, but w- we're thinking about it. Maybe we feel like we're walking in the desert and we are in need of water. Maybe you grew up in church your whole life, you never really cared, never really listened, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the desert and you're like, wait, 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 where do I find water? Or maybe this is your first time in a church, first time hearing about all this Jesus stuff, and you're like, maybe I want to try a drink of this water, this stuff that Jesus is talking about. Today, I bring good news. That we serve a God who brings springs of water even in the desert. And that Jesus is inviting us. He's inviting you. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And all he's asking us is, are you thirsty? We turn a little forward in our Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is a, is a, Jeremiah is a prophet. God would speak through uh, Jeremiah to his people. And in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 2, verse 13, God says this to the Israelite people. He says this. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. The spring of living water. God, God calls himself the spring of living water. He says, they've forsaken me. And then he says this. They have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God says to the Israelite people, you've forsaken me. You've run away from me. I'm the source of living water. And instead, you've tried to create it on your own. I think there's some of us in the room this morning who we've run away from God. We've turned away from God. And maybe it's been two months Maybe it's been two years. Maybe it's been two decades. And Jesus used to be your only spring of living water, but you've run away from that. You've tried working out. You've tried substances. You've tried success. You've tried money. You've tried all kinds of different things, and nothing seems to be working. Today I bring good news. Jesus is inviting us. Jesus is inviting you. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. He's asking us, are you thirsty? If we flip back just a little bit to the the Psalms, the Psalms are this collection of poems and and songs. And, And David, the psalmist, in Psalm chapter 42, in the first two verses, he's downcast. He's in misery. He's in heartache. And he cries out in the first two verses of Psalm 42, and he says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. David is in misery, and he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, I'm thirsty Where are you? I'm thirsty. Where are you? I know that there are some of us in the room this morning who are downcast. Who are in heartache. 
Maybe you missed on that house or the test was positive or the test was negative. Or maybe you're never going to see that person ever again and you are in misery. You're in heartache. Your soul is downcast. And today I bring good news. Jesus is inviting us. He's inviting you, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. We turn forward to the New Testament. The Gospel of John, the passage that we read this morning, in fact, offers us this powerful image This powerful image of priests gathering water on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles and they're gathering their water. They're up, they're down, they're gathering their water. They're bringing it it back, they're bringing it back. And all the while Jesus is standing there and Jesus is saying, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. I think there are some of us in the room this morning who have spent most of our lives gathering water, so to speak. We've spent most of our lives performing the religious duties of going to church on Sunday, maybe small group on Wednesdays. We've spent our lives being a Christian, maybe just not a disciple of Jesus. Not thirsting for the living water, not having an experience, a relationship with him. And there also might be some of us who, we feel like we have a relationship with Jesus, but man, is it exhausting. Because all he does is ask me to do things and do justice and do mercy and do love. And I feel exhausted, Jesus. And I have bring good news to you today. Jesus isn't after our gallons of water. He's after our thirst. Jesus isn't after our gallons of water. He's after our thirst. And he is inviting us. He is inviting you, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And he's asking us, are you thirsty? If we turn a few pages before John chapter 7, we find ourselves in John chapter 4. Jesus finds himself at a well with a woman and he says to this woman in chapter four, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, he says to her, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the well that he's sitting at. But he says this, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, talking about himself, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There are some of us in the room this morning who the whole time I've been talking, you've been thinking, ah, oh, yeah, this gospel stuff, this is, this is for the people who aren't Christians yet. This is for the people who haven't drank from the well, so to speak. I'm here to tell you today that the gospel is for Christians too. The gospel is for Christians too. 
There's a guy named Dallas Willard who, who, who said this way more uh, beautifully, way more powerfully than I ever could. He, he said this at one point. He said, talking about the people who think, ah, oh, no, 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 this is for people who haven't drank from the well. He says, we often look upon our salvation as a moment that began our religious life instead of the daily life that we receive from God. He says this, this is so beautiful. Salvation is a life. Salvation is a life. It's not a moment, it's a life. It's not a drink, it's a well. So today, I bring good news. Jesus is inviting us, Jesus is inviting you, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And he's not asking us, are you thirsty for a drink? He's asking us, are you thirsty for a well? Are you thirsty for a well of eternal life that will spring inside of you that will be constantly available for you to experience, for you to participate? He's not asking, are you thirsty for a drink? He's asking us, are you thirsty for a well? We turn back to the very end of the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was this prophet that God would speak to his people through, similar to Jeremiah. And at the end of the book of Zechariah, almost at the end of the Old Testament, just before, well, several years before Jesus would arrive, God assures his people in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, he says this, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. God says, I am coming for my my people, the house of David, the Israelites, I am coming and there is going to be a fountain that will cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. This is God's way of saying, I am on the way. And at the very end of the New Testament, at the very end of the Bible, one of the last verses of the entire word of God in Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 says this, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The gospel is written into the story of God from start to finish. From Genesis to Revelation. And the gospel is for anyone and for everyone and is for all of the time. And here's why this matters. Here's why all of this matters. The more that we begin to thirst, the more that we begin to desire for Jesus, whether we're, we've, we're not a Christian and we want to be maybe, or whether we've been a Christian for 60 years, the more we begin to desire, the more we thirst for Jesus, the more we experience Jesus, the more we experience his gospel. The gospel is the reality of God's rescue. And it comes to ultimate fruition in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And as we begin to thirst, as we begin to desire more and more, we begin to experience more of that. We begin to experience more of Jesus' life, of his death, of his cross, of his burial, of his resurrection, of his empty tomb. We begin to experience more of his, his justice, his love, his teachings, his parables. And so the only question left to ask is this. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? 
Because the more we thirst, the more we experience the gospel of Jesus, the more we experience his new life, his salvation. And I'm not saying this because it was an idea I had on a Wednesday afternoon, okay? I'm saying this because I have experienced this, okay? I, I can't explain it really. I might sound like a crazy person if I try. But over the last six months, I have found that the more that I thirst for Jesus, the more I desire Jesus, the more that I experience Jesus, the more that I experience his gospel. And trust me, it's not all rainbows and butterflies all the time, okay? Sometimes it's the suffering of the cross. But sometimes it's the freedom and the joy of the empty tomb. But in both places, I assure you, Jesus is there. Jesus is with me, offering new life, offering salvation, a well of eternal life springing up inside of me, constantly available, able to experience, and able to participate. And friends, I want that. I want more of it for me. I want more of it for you. I want more of that for our church. And so the only question left to ask is this. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? We're going to move into a time of worship and response. We're going to take communion together. And, and throughout this time, I want to just invite you, in whatever way you need to, to respond to this question Jesus, is, I believe, is asking us this morning, are you thirsty? So whether you need to come forward, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. Whether you need to come forward and you just need to kneel. Whether you need to kneel at your seat or put your hands up or do some business with God and just talk with God and say, Jesus, I'm thirsty. However you need to respond, I invite you to respond this morning to this question Jesus is asking us. Are you thirsty? Will you pray with me? God, I am so grateful for your gospel. The story of God from start to finish that is available for anyone and everyone and all of the time. Jesus, I, I pray for myself. I pray for those of us in the room this morning. I pray for our church that we would be a people that the other, the outsiders that observe, they don't notice anything about uh, our, our coffee or our kids ministry or all the other different things that we got going on here. But the first thing that they would say is, man, that place is thirsty for Jesus. Man, that place desires Jesus. When they get together in their homes, when they get together at this office building, when they get together all the different places, they are hungry, they are thirsty, they are desiring for God to break into their lives constantly in new, fresh, powerful, challenging, sometimes heartbreaking ways. Spirit of God, we're aware that this can be a challenging thing to ask. This can be a, a scary thing to ask. This can be something to ask that maybe we're half sure that we want to ask. And so I just pray that you would come and you would fill this place, that you would move in this room over the, over the next few minutes as we worship and as we respond. And would you just fill us with thirst for you? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. It's in your name that we gather. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.